today's sermon title is This is Home. This is Home. And uh, you guys can have a seat. Amen. Sometimes you just want to keep standing in the presence of God. All right. Um, let's, get, let's get into this. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Lord, I ask right now, Lord, empty me right now. Just empty all of me. And fill me, Lord, with your word. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. All right. So there was this guy, right? His name was was, uh, James Costa. James Costa. So this guy... Uh, was an IT consultant, and he's bringing up, he's bringing in big cash monthly, $1,500 a month. That's big cash. I say that because the guy was 13 years old. He was 13 years old, and he's a, like, genius, like a, a computer genius. And so at 13 years old, he's hired as an IT consultant. He's making 1500 bucks. He's got an 18-year-old girlfriend. He's got a lot of friends, and he finds himself skipping school. He finds himself coming home late. He's making $1,500 a month. Mom, Dad, you don't tell me what to do. You don't, I take care of myself. Well, Mom and Dad gave him an ultimatum. I don't care how much money you're making. I don't care that your girlfriend's 18 years old. I don't care how many friends you have. Hey, when you're 13, an 18-year-old girlfriend's a big deal, right? This is a true story. I'm not making this up. Check it, check this out. It's true. It's a true story. His parents gave him an ultimatum and said, listen, you either leave all that and focus on your schoolwork or get out. Well, I'm making $1,500 a month, so guess what? I'm going to get me a lawyer. And he emancipated himself from his parents at 13 years old. Well, he gets hung up with the round crowd, uh, you know, in the tech hacker world, and he begins to hack into some big networks, IBM, GE, some other military stuff. He gets involved in some deep stuff. Well, guess what? FBI came in and kicked his door down when he was 14 years old and arrested him. And since he was emancipated, they charged him as an adult, and he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. 45 years in prison. Now, I would stop there because, you know, the rest doesn't really go with the sermon. But just so you guys know, because I hate, you know, leaving you there. The judge felt compassion for him after one year and said, listen, I'm going to take you out. But the requirement is that you have to join the military and some other requirements. That was the main one. He has to join. He saw he saw potential in this young guy. Well, he gets out. Uh, a couple years later, when he's of age, he joins the Navy, and he works within their intelligence field, right? And then after that, he joins the CIA, and he works in a counter-hacker terrorism type of unit. And he does that for many years, and then he becomes this entrepreneur, and he becomes this multimillionaire because of the second chance that that judge gave him. 
True story. But as I read this story, I came across a story and reminded me, it reminded me of a very famous story in the Bible. A story of a son who thought, I don't need you, and I could do this on my own. Story of the prodigal son. So what I want to do today is I want to read with you. I want to read with you in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. I'll go fast. Man, so many verses, Pastor. And we'll read them again later. Watch. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood. Man, the way that sounds, right? He divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent himself into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread and to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Praise God. Fifth, chapter 15 of Luke is a great chapter, an amazing chapter. Um, and, and to give you a little context, what's happening here is chapter 15 is a response. It's Jesus talking. It's a response because Jesus happens to be, all of a sudden, he's, he's hanging out, and all of a sudden, these tax collectors and these sinners are gathering around Jesus, and you have the Pharisees and the scribes, they're looking over, and look at this guy, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And they began to complain. They began to say, look at this. How could this be? I mean, how could he allow this? How could it? And then he breaks it down, and he turns to them, and he, and, he, and he drops three parables on the floor real quick. First one is about the 99, the shepherd leaving the 99. And we know that parable about the shepherd who has 100 sheep and, and, he, and he counts 99. And he's like, wait, I'm missing one. And what he does is he personally, he leaves the 99 looking for the one and he finds it. And the Bible says that he takes it and he puts it over his shoulder and he carries it to safety. The next parable was about the lost coin. This is one that we don't really talk too much about. Or you don't hear, it's not as common. But the lost coin is about a woman who has 10 coins. And she loses one, 
and she goes ballistic. She's tearing the house up, everything, kicking the furniture out. She's looking for this one coin, and she doesn't stop until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls the neighbors. She calls her friends, and she throws this big party. Wow, all that for a coin? There's parties in the heavens when we come to Christ. But to give you a context, because, you know, not everybody understands the background to the coin. Why is Jesus talking about this woman with ten coins to these Pharisees? And I want you to understand this. Back in those days, and even to this day, some cult, in some of the, the more traditional, uh, those in the Middle East, um, the husband in, in marriage would give his wife, it was like a ribbon that she would wear around her head, and it would have ten coins on the ribbon. And the ten coins was a symbolism of their matrimony. It was a symbolism of their relationship, of their marriage. If it was whole, then it was a good standing within the marital relationship. But if she would step out of her marriage or disgrace her husband in any way, then he would remove one of those coins. And she would still have to wear it with a gap so that the world would see and shame would fall upon her. So her losing that one coin was a big deal. And she found it. Oh, she's going to party. She's going to party. <laughs> but what we're going to talk about today is of the prodigal son, the third parable. And so verses 11 to 12 He says, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So his father divided them. This is a harsh request. It's a harsh request. The youngest son wants his inheritance now. The father, I mean, yeah, legally he's entitled to his property that belongs to his dad once his dad dies. And there was even uh, an opportunity legally for the father, while he was living, to divide the property. It was legal for him to do that. However, it was cruel. It was cruel and it was harsh. Because, in fact, what he was saying was, you might as well be dead to me, dad. Because, you see, when you die, then I get this. And he's saying, I don't care about you living right now. I just want what's mine. You might as well be dead to me. You're no good alive to me because as long as you're alive to me, I can't get what's mine. So just die to me and give me what is mine. (laughs) I'm tired of your control, dad. I'm tired of you always in my life. I'm tired of you always telling me what to do, how to do it, where to go, how how to act. I want to be free from you. So just give me what's mine so I can go on my way. How many of us would speak to our fathers that way? Yet. Yet. The lost man or woman, someone lost in their sin, is living a lifestyle, an attitude, that is saying just that to God the Father. I wish you were dead, God, because the way you're living, as you're living as if he is dead. 
when you know that your God is alive, when you know that your God is real, when you know these things, you live according to that. You submit to our living God. You, you honor his word. You honor his commandments. You do your best to make your dad proud. But when you live a reckless life, when you're living the way you want to live for yourself, for your pleasures, for your stuff, and we're going to get into that even more later, what's happening is you're telling me, you might as well be dead to me, God, because I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it and how I want to do it. We would never say that to God, but sometimes the way that we live says it to him. This is hard. This is hard to say because you're like, no, not me. I would never tell God that. Well, you just did by the way you acted. You just did by the way you were living. You just did by what you just It's a harsh request. It's a selfish request. So selfish. Are we being harsh in our requests and demands with God? Are we being selfish when we come before God? He says, give me. The entire focus is on me. Me, myself, and I. I don't care about nobody else, especially his father. He could have cared less about his father. <laughs> but check this out. How gracious the father is. I, more than me. More than me. If Abigail or Kevin come up to me and be like, yo, give me what's mine. I don't need you anymore. My response might be a little different. See, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to perfect the technique my dad had, right, back in the day when it was okay to beat your kids, right? Because my dad, while holding his hand up, could unbuckle the belt, pull it out, wrap it, and come back down real quick before I could finish my sentence. telling you he had a dance it was it was i'm trying to i'm trying to learn i'm trying i'm trying to learn i'm gonna tell you right now my response would have been something like that my response would have been like that some kind of drop kick elbow to the head knee i don't know something something but this father is so gracious he didn't he, if you read the scripture listen 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 Look at this. Look at this. Look, look. What he does is, what he does is, he says, <laughs> he says, he says, stop. He said, give me, give me the portion that falls to me. And, he, and, and the very next line says, so he divided to them. There's no, don't, and there's no back and forth. There's no hesitation. There's no, he said, you know what? Here you go, son. Here you go, son. Here you go. This father worked hard for something. This father gave his life, blood, sweat, and tears to build an inheritance to give down to his children. This wasn't something that was like, oh, you know, 
snap a finger, it's there. You work hard. And in those times, you worked harder. We don't have all the luxuries of today's technologies, all the luxuries of today's uh, life hacks, right, that we have, right? It was hard work. And he put in hard work to get to where he was at. And he easily said, here you go. The son wanted what his dad had, but he didn't want his dad. Give me what you have, but I don't need you. And the sad thing is that many of us, we're all guilty at times that we go before God and we have this relationship with give me, me, give me, give me. I don't really need you in my life right now. Listen, I need, I need what you have, but I don't want you in my life. God, I need, I need the air that you provide. I need the, 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 the food to sustain myself. I need water. I need time. I want your blessings. I want your favor. I want anointing. I want all this. But you know what? Just, just stay out of the way. Because so many times you and I don't agree with what I want to do. Many times we don't agree about where I want to go. Many times we don't agree on the things when people come in before us and we, and we want to judge. And you tell us not to judge. We want to, we want to, we want to, uh, no. We want everything that you have to offer without having to answer to you. That's exactly what this son is doing to his father. Isaiah 65, 12. Isaiah 65, 12 says, Therefore I will number you for the sword. And you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called you, when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Listen, let me tell you something. If you want to live like there's no God, he's going to let you live like there's no God. If you want to live like, like and, and taking everything that you can from him, Everything you can for him without ever acknowledging that it comes from him, he'll let you live like, like, like that, taking everything without acknowledging. He'll let you live like that. But a life like that has a result of eternal death, a Christless eternity. I'm telling you the strong words, but it's truth. He will let you live how you want to live. And how you live is an investment in your eternity, whichever way you're investing in. Luke, if you continue the next couple of verses, it says, and not many days after, the younger son, he gathered everything together. He gathered everything together and he journeyed to a far country. And many times when you, when you look at far country, you know, it's not just far away, it, it, it's it, it, the the the. the Deeper translations will show you that what it's symbolizing is that he went to a place that was outside of his religious covering. He is a Jew, and he went to a faraway place where they were not Jews, where they did not um, practice the, 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 the religious uh, um, 
uh, things and, and, and lifestyle that he was supposed to have been covered by. He went to a faraway place, leaving behind the, the covering of, 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 the, of his faith. And he goes far away, and it says there, he washed his possessions away with prodigal living. And prodigal, prodigal here is, is like reckless. It's like uh, just wild and, and, and all that stuff, you know, just crazy living. What makes it worse is when he's broke. It says when he had spent it all, a famine showed up in the country, and, and he was now in want. He was starving. He was in need. And uh, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and it says that he went to the fields to feed the swine. The hard reality kicks in. <laughs> the son got what he wanted, but then realized that not everything that glitters is gold. We're guilty of that, and I'm, I'm guilty of many times throughout my life, you know, the moments where you, you really want something. And, and you go against advice, you go against counsel, you go against all these things, and you realize, what did I do? It's too late. Now you're suffering. Now you're in pain. And sin brings that. And we're going to keep going and talk about that in a minute. You see, we're seeing that what verse 13 is showing us, it shows us the reality of sin's pleasures. He takes the Father's grace, right? His Father showed him grace and gave him his. And what he does is he blows it on a, on a wicked living, uh, self-indulged living. When he went to that faraway land, he left behind all his morals. He left behind all his morals, everything that he had been taught, and he has focused on satisfying his flesh, his own desires. Now, the thing is, I'm not going to lie to you and say that there is no pleasure in sin, because then those of us that know, we're like, well, I mean, that's, it's, that, that was cool. I had a great time. Oh, that felt good. I want to I read to you uh, a, a verse in Hebrews 11:25, and it says, he chose to be mistreated, and, 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 he, and listen to this. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The Bible even says that sin could be pleasurable, but there's a key word in this verse. That's right, fleeting. What does fleeting mean? It means passing. It means temporary. It means maybe now, but not tomorrow. You understand? And so, yes, uh, it may be fun at this moment, but you'll find yourself in a place of pain. If you live your life in the bottle, right, if you live your life indulging in sin, if you live your life um, uh, for, just for fleshly uh, pleasures, if you live your life for self, then it all ends up in the same place. An eternity in hell. And then you got to ask yourself, was it worth it? Was it worth it for five minutes of fun? Was it worth it for a night on the town? Was it worth it? Was it worth it to spend eternity in hell? I emphasize it because I know that a lot of churches and preachers, we don't talk about it enough because it doesn't attract people. 
doesn't attract people when you talk about hell. Ooh, I don't want to know about that. Just tell me the fun stuff. The pleasures of sin. Listen, I want, I want to tell you a story. This is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I learned this myself. Um, how does an Eskimo kill a wolf? I just, I just learned this. Like last night at 1 o'clock in the morning. All right. So um, an Eskimo will take a knife, very sharp knife, and he will dip it in an animal's blood and then freeze it. Then come back and dip it again, freeze it, dip it again, freeze it, dip it again, and freeze it until you have a blood popsicle on this very sharp knife. Then they would take the knife, place it outside facing up with the blade up, and then leave it overnight. The wolf will smell the blood and will come over to it and lick it and say, ooh, that tasted good, and then lick it again and lick it, and lick it, and lick it, and he's now he's like enjoying this because he's tearing it up. He's licking it, and, and he's enjoying it. The taste of blood is, is, is satisfying his flesh, his desire. He's enjoying it, and it's so cold. Remember, it's an ice popsicle. His tongue is getting really cold and numb. It's cold outside. He has already licked through all the ice, and now... He continues to lick because he keeps tasting the blood, not realizing that he's satisfying his own desire with his own blood. With his own blood. And then eventually he drops down and dies for loss of blood. Cuts us all up. Do you know this is just how self-destructive sin is? I'm telling you right now, oh, it may feel good. You get, you, 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 you get in it, and all of a sudden, you're enjoying it, you're enjoying it, and before you know it, your enjoyment is your destruction. Chapter, uh, verse 14, it shows us the reality of, this, uh, of the sin's price. He ran out. His, he, he's broke. He, um, he's in a far country. First, he was used to wine, women, and wilding. Three W's, right? Wine, women, and wilding out. And now it became a land of weeping, sorrow, and worry. You see, he found out too late that sin carries a high price tag with it. A high price tag. You see, what sin brought was separation. It separated him from the father. A father who had done nothing but love him, cover him, care for him, and pour into him. And we too can find ourselves separated from God when we are lost in our sin. Isaiah 59, 2a, the first part of it says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. This is sometimes we struggle with all the sayings that people say, listen, God is everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. We know this. But you can't expect to live a reckless life and feel like God is right there by your side. You see, this is, this is, this is the thing that people, people want to twist things and say, well, God is here with me always. And yeah, in a sense, he is always present because he's God. He's omnipresent. He cannot be present everywhere. But he's not going to walk alongside of you as you recklessly throw your life away. You understand this? 
Now he'll be there at all times, like, like following me, like, please, like, like just my hands are open. My hands are on. He's going to be there with his hands and arms open. But you need to make that decision. You need to make that decision. Sin, it brought sorrow to him. James 1, 14 to 15 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. When the music stopped, when the friends are gone, when the money is gone, he realized that he had needs that he could not meet anymore. The sin had robbed him of everything that was valuable to him. And now he's helpless and hopeless in a far country. You know, in our world, in our lives, sin, it just brings destruction. And I know it's like, oh, we're talking about sin, we're talking about sin. Listen, sin will bring brokenness to your life. It, 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 will, it, will, it will ruin your marriages. It, 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 will, it will shatter dreams, damage trust. It will bring health problems. It brings health problems, some sins. All sin. Helplessness, depression, defeat, death. The next couple of verses, 15 and 16, it says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen in that country. He sent him to the fields, to, you know, he went to, to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have, and he's looking at the, what the pigs are eating. He's like, man, that looks good. That's how bad, that's how bad shape this guy was. Now, <laughs> the reality of the sin is that sin continues to bring things into his life, and it brought shame into his life. Here you have a Jewish boy. First of all, it's dirty enough having to feed pigs. But if you're a Jew, you hire somebody to do that. Pigs are unclean. You don't touch them. You don't go near them. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't mess with that. And here you have this Jew who at, at this lowest point, full of shame, here he is feeding them, touching them. Not only that, but looking at what they're eating and saying, man, that looks good. I want to eat some of that. Can you talk about rock bottom? Rock bottom. You know, when we allow sin to have its way in our lives, when you allow sin to, to take over and to dictate what you do and how you do and where you go, then what happens is uh, you too will find yourself in a place of shame sooner or later. And like, it's a shame I wasted my life. I look back and say, man, I wish I could have gotten serious for God sooner. It's a shame of wasted youth. It's a shame of, of wasted opportunities. That's why I, uh, I, 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 I so love seeing young people making commitments for Christ, getting baptized. Amen? They're not wasting no time. They're not wasting their youth away. How many of us can say we wasted our youth? If, we, if, only, if only I would have been able to exchange my life out. All these extra years I could have helped the kingdom, expand the kingdom, uh, all, all the things that God could have done. I could have experienced. But worst of all, out of all the shame, to say it's a shame, <laughs> I wasted away an eternity with God. Do you, want, do you want God to be ashamed of you? I mean, we don't, I don't want to be shamed in front of God. But the scripture says in 1 John, 2, 28, now little children abide in him 
that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. Sin brought suffering. No home, no help, no hope. He's suffering because of the choices that he made. Because of the choices that he made. Many of us suffer because of the choices we made and we want to blame the devil. Oh, the devil is a liar. Yo, get behind these Satan. And he's like, I've been behind you. I didn't do nothing. You did that all by yourself. You did it all by yourself. We make choices. And many times those choices bring suffering and there's no one else to blame but ourselves. It's sad to see a life broken by sin. We see this so many times. We see this in actors. We see this in singers, right? We see someone that, listen, where they start singing in church, where they start playing in church, where they start developing their musical talent, their art of music in church. And then they, they, they grow, their talent gets better, they go to Hollywood, they get mixed up in all the Hollywoodness, Life into drugs and all those other things. And then you see them wasted away. And you're like, man, what happened to this person? They were so amazing. You see stories of overdosing on actors and singers. And you see stories of, uh, of how people have lost it all. How famous athletes have all this money and now they're broke. Look it up. There's lots of people broke these days from back in our day. Especially back in the, you know, the 80s hip hop hip. Hop to the hip. A lot of those guys are broke right now. <laughs> what happened? They had it all. What happened? A life destroyed by sin. Wasted away. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my, my dad's servants got it better than I do? Even my dad's servants got left over, and I'm over here starving. I'll just go back and tell him, listen, I can't be, I, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. But you know what? Hire me as a slave just so I can eat, so I have a place to stay. He finally comes to. He had a, he had a, ah, moment. I had a good back home. I had it good. You know, the first step of getting out of sin is realizing that you are in sin. Can, can, I, can I say that again? The first step of getting out of sin is realizing that you are in sin. Hi, my name is Vince, and I'm a sinner. I've been a sinner for the last 30, uh, 40 years. <laughs> Hi. The first step is realizing I am a sinner. I'm lost in my sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. I'm a sinner. So he makes up his mind. He goes home to a father who loves him, who will take care of him, because he realized that he made a mistake. Many of us, Many of us are at a moment in our lives right now, we need to make a decision to go back. We need to make a decision to say, you know what? I'm going to humble myself before the Lord and go back. Go back home. Go back home. 
You see, before he left, he was saying, give me. And now he's saying, I'll do whatever, just make me. Like he doesn't want anything other than to be a slave. He wanted inheritance leaving, and he wants nothing but to be allowed to be a slave on the way back. Before, he didn't want to be under the father's authority, <laughs> and now he's willing to be a slave under his dad. When we come back to Christ, <laughs> yo, <laughs> we're willing just, God, listen, I, I'm horrible. Just listen, have mercy on me. I'm not worthy. But I just, I just can't, can, can I just have you in my life? Can I just have you in my life? So the next several verses, he comes, you know, he goes, he goes to his dad, and, and when, his, when he's close by, when he's far off, his dad sees him and runs to him. Runs to him. He doesn't even let him really talk. Dad, you know, I'm sorry. I'm not worthy. Ah, yeah, yeah. Shh, be quiet. Just be quiet. And he's like hugging him. He's kissing him. He's jumping. I mean, can you imagine this? And, 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 and this is the thing. Um, it, it, he didn't, went not knowing what to expect. The son went not knowing what the father would do. But he didn't care. When we come back to Christ, we don't care what people think. We don't care what they're going to say. We don't care how people, listen, I know that I have a father that loves me. I don't care what no one's going to say. And that's why you see people so on fire. Listen, don't listen, listen, listen. I'm going to say it on the mic so everybody can hear me. Don't ever, ever tell someone to calm down in their excitement for God, in their excitement for Christ. Let let them be, let them, let them overdo it. No, let them be. You don't know what God has delivered them from. You don't know from what shackles they were freed from. You don't know. I can't say that God delivered me from something horrible. And so, so I may not know what this person's going through. Somebody who I know people that were sentenced to life in prison and God intervened. He intervened supernaturally. And they get a chance to walk and talk and live and have a family and serve him. How can you not be grateful? No, this dad, he runs to him, right? He runs to him. And let me tell you something. It was undignified for a man in these times to run. You don't run. You walk. You walk. Head high, stature, maybe a little faster if you need to. But you don't run. It's undignified in this culture of a man to run. Why did the father run to his son? Do you know? Oh, let me read it. 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 Uh, Deuteronomy um, chapter 21, 18, 21. says, if a, stubborn man, if a man is stubborn and, re- and, uh, and is a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of the father or the voice of the mother and who, when they have chast- chastened him, will not heed them, Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, this is son of ours, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunk. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, and you shall put away, and you shall put away the evil from among you, and Israel, and all of Israel shall hear and fear. Listen, check this out. This son was rebellious. He was disobedient. He left, and, and, and in his coming back, in his coming back, the neighbors and the elders of the town, they had the right to stone him to death. The father takes off running and puts himself between the danger and his son. 
Do you understand this? This is what Jesus does. He puts himself and he says, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you. What you deserve, I'm not going to allow to happen to you. I'm not going to let death come to you. I'm not going to let harm come to you. You deserve it, but I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to cover you. The father runs and he covers him and puts himself between harm's way and his son. And he begins to kiss him. The translation says kissed, but I forgot the word. Something kill Ethiopia or something like that. It, it, it means kissing. He didn't stop kissing him. It's a verb of kiss. It, you know, he kept kissing his son, kissing his son, kissing his son. He was so happy to embrace his son. His son has now come home. His son has now come home. You know, God runs to meet the sinner to extend his mercy and grace upon us. All right, we're almost finishing. We're almost finishing. I know it's 45 minutes. All right, come on. This is the good part. It doesn't stop there with kissing and hugging and covering. The father says, he blows, oh, get me a robe, the best robe, the best robe. Why, why put a robe on this kid? He's dirty. He's stinky. Notice, he didn't say go home. He didn't say go into the house, take a shower. Just no. He sent for the robe. Listen to this. The robe is a symbol of purity. The father covers us. He said, he said, get me a robe. And they put the robe on, and the robe is now covering the stains of sin. The robe is now covering the stench of the pigs. The robe is now covering all the, 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 the junk that he had gone. It covers it. And now his son looks like the father in his father's robe. Come on. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. He's like, yo, get, put a ring on it. And, it's, and, 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 it's, and he puts a ring on him, and the ring symbolizes, the ring symbolizes, I don't even know where I'm at. Look at that. I don't even I, I'm like two pages long. The ring symbolizes privileges. The ring is a symbol that this is my son and he has my authority. When this son is walking around with that ring, he could be like, hey, uh, clean this up, please. Um, listen, um, I need you over here. Um, can you cook me something? Um, can you like, he has authority because when the servants and the slaves look up, they see the ring and the ring is a, represent a representation of the father. When we repent of our sins and come home to the Father, we're given a great privilege of being his son or daughter. And then what he does is he opens up the storehouses of grace and gives us everything he has. All the son wanted was to be a slave. Just, just let me be a slave so I can eat. I'll sleep in the barn, wherever, right? And here he is covered in purity and given authority. And then he says, yo, um, put some shoes on this guy. Put some shoes on this guy.
the shoes symbolized position. Only the slaves went around barefoot. I guess I'm a slave. I love to be barefoot. Uh, I love to be barefoot everywhere. And I think my daughter, she came out like me. Because we try to keep her in shoes. It's always coming off. Um, the slaves walked around barefoot. He says, put shoes on him. He has position here. He is not a slave. He's not a slave. He's my son. You know, when we come back to Christ, we're saved. We have to understand we're saved by grace, right? We're saved by grace and we become a child of God. And no longer, no longer, you know, he, God doesn't no longer see you as a sinner, as a slave. He sees you as a child. A child that he loves. So one thing I want to remind you is don't, don't let anyone downplay that position of you being a child of God. Right now, we are children. If you have accepted Christ, you are a child of God, and this society wants to downplay it. Our world wants to downplay it. Our world wants to criticize. They want to call us all sorts of things these days. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse, but I'm going to tell you something. Being a child of God, don't let anyone downplay that. You have a position in the kingdom as a child of God the Father. Lastly, to end it, he says, bring the fatted calf. They're about to throw down. They're about to eat good. It was custom in those days that that a household would maintain a fatted calf. Like they would feed it, feed it, feed it. They would maintain one fatted calf that on a special occasion, on a spur of a moment, they can say, bring, listen, how did they know what calf? The fatted calf? I mean, there's a lot of calves here. I mean, I don't know. Which one you want me to grab? The fatter one? Okay, we'll look around. No, they knew which one because it was set apart. And it was sacrificed. It was set apart and it was sacrificed so that they can celebrate. Do we know any other sacrifices that have happened so that we can now celebrate? I I hope you're hearing me this morning. If you're watching, I hope you're hearing it this morning. They're celebrating because the son was lost and now he's found. Just like when a sinner comes to Christ, there is celebration and rejoicing in the heavens. All right. I'm not going to take too much time, but I want to share this. I am a prodigal son. I was raised in a household in the way of the Lord my whole life. My whole life. And when I was of age to make my own decisions, I left to a far away land. And in that far away land, I did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. But at the end of that, I found myself 
in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and a lot of shame. And I came back to my father's house. And they welcomed me with open arms. And it was twofold. Because not too long after that, I came back to God the Father, too. And it was like a celebration as if, hey, everything else never mattered. Everything, I, I'm my own worst enemy because we do it to ourselves where we continually sometimes bring up our own stuff, right? Christ doesn't do that. If someone's bringing all that stuff up in front of you, yo, you just rebuke that stuff. Say, yo, get out of here. Only the enemy will bring up the past to torment you. We will bring up the past to testify of how great God is. I was a prodigal. I came back and God covered me with his robe. And the sins of my rebelliousness and the stains are now covered. And I begin to look like the Father. I'm not worthy. Just like he said, I'm not worthy to be your son. <laughs> but that's how much he loves us. So the question is, and if you guys can stand with me this morning, the question is, where are you today? Are you off in a far country? Living a prodigal life? Reckless? kind of just doing your own thing. You know, you can come to church every week and still be living reckless. Coming to church, it doesn't, it, 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 it's not a magical erase your lifestyle thing. You know? Tuning in, watching, or being here doesn't automatically erase the way you're living. Like you got to restart every Sunday, right? Restart, restart. No, it doesn't work that way. The only one that can hit the restart button is Christ. When you receive him, accept him, and repent before him. When you say, I'm sorry, cleanse me. Take it all away. I'm sorry. I want to turn away from all this. He hits the reset button. Go ahead, my child. You're covered in my robe. You look like me. I put a ring on your finger. To let the world know that you're my child. I put shoes on your feet so that you know the position that you have in my kingdom. Now walk in the authority that I've given you. So there's a couple of things this morning. There are some of you that are in a far country living prodigal lives. And there are some of you 
They have not taken that robe, that ring, and those shoes and have began to walk in the authority that God the Father has given you. So those that have not made a decision to follow Christ, I want to make an invitation to you this morning. If you have not accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today is that day. I'm telling you, it's that day. If you're watching, today's the day. Today's the day of salvation, says the Lord. And I'm going to open the altar, and I want you to come up. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. If you have not accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to come up, and I want to pray with you. And the second call is this. If you have accepted Christ, or if you've come back to Christ, but you haven't stood up straight in that robe with that ring and those shoes, and if you have not begun to walk in the authority that God the Father has given you, I want to pray with you this morning because I want you to leave here today walking in the authority of Jesus Christ. So the altar is open. I need to pray with you guys. Come on up. Come on. I, come on. Stop. Just stop with it. Let's go. Let's do this. I want to pray with you. We're going to be walking in the authority that God has given us today. 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 Father God, right now, Lord, look at all those that are watching online, those that are here battling, Lord, struggling with this decision to come up. Lord, right now, I ask that you remove all fear, all, temp all, all distractions, Father God, because you have something to do with them today. You got something on uh, this plan for their lives today. Father God, look at those that, are, uh, that have not received you yet, Lord. Today is a day of salvation. Look at those that have received you, Lord. Today is a day to walk in authority. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for the robe. I thank you for your ring. I thank you for the shoes that cover us. Though we're not worthy, you love us that much. It was titled, This is Home, because so many of us have gone all over trying to find our home. Our home in this world, our home in society, our home of trying to find it anywhere. And Lord, you've been waiting here saying, this is home. I am home. Today's the day to say, I want to come back home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.